You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Buchanan tells a story of how a woman named Wanda called him one day. And Wanda, she was thirsty. Thirsty for beer and rum and all types of alcohol. And she just loved this. It was basically a chain to her soul. And she would sell her body to men to, to pay for it. But when she called Mark, she said, there's got to be something more to life. And so Mark invited her to come over to the church, and her and another minister began to talk. And she began to talk about her heartache, about her brokenness, about her shame, and everything that had taken place in her life. Mark then said, you know, There was another woman in the Bible, the passage that we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 4, there was a a Samaritan woman at a a well, and and she also had a past, and Jesus offered her the living water, and, and it changed her life. He said, Wanda, would you be interested in the living water? Would you be interested in Jesus Christ? She says, oh yeah. I want that. She confessed her sin. She repented. And she said, yeah, I want to put Jesus Christ number one in my life. The the other pastor, he says, well, Wanda, how about coming to church on Sunday? I I know you've never been to church before, so, you know, you might want to come a little bit late. It can kind of be a little overwhelming. You can sit on the back row and, and you can leave early if you want. She looks at him and says, Why would I want to do that? I've been wanting to come to church my whole life. And and so she comes to church. She's the first one there. And, man, she's so excited. And and she loudly agreed with everything that Mark preached that day. She was the last one to leave. She was just having the time of her life. The next Sunday, she shows up. and, And Mark is preaching that if you've tasted the love of Jesus Christ, you can't help but serve, you can't help but volunteer, you can't help but get involved in the church. And he finished preaching, and it was communion time. And he asked for his servant leaders to to come up and and to serve. Well, Wanda hears the word servant. She loves Jesus. So, man, she just jumps up up, and she runs right to the communion table. and, And Mark winched a little bit first. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered. Isn't it amazing how God changes stories? How he redeems people? And he said the incredible part was, here's Wanda serving communion with a long list of shame and bad choices. But as she passed that communion plate, no one in his church blinked an eye. Because we all have a story, don't we? If you're new here, we've been in a series called All In On My Story. And kind of the heart of this is I read in this book that 
the average person has 10 spiritual conversations or less in a year. With Christians or non-Christians, and when I say spiritual conversations, I'm talking, you could talk about a Bible verse, a, a devotion, the sermon, a, a Christian song, anything even closely related to something spiritual. And, and 75% of the people have 10 or less spiritual conversations. In the same study, though, it also talked about how people felt like the church didn't equip them or encourage them, over 50%. And, and so this got me to thinking, like, we want to be a church that we encourage people to think about how God has worked in their life. Every one of you have a story. You have a story, and God's work in your story in some capacity. And, and two weeks ago, we, we talked about a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who was suffering physically, but also emotionally and socially. She was unclean. She couldn't go to the temple and worship. Everything she touched, her friends, if they touched them, they had to go and get cleaned up. And so she thought, hey, I'll sneak up and I'll touch Jesus. He's in this big crowd. No one will know. And she touches Jesus and she's instantly healed and I know she was thinking about, hey, man, I can get away. I'm healed. Everything's good. But Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And eventually she says, yeah, it was, it was me. And then Jesus says, hey, your faith has healed you. You are my daughter. The only place in Scripture that we see Jesus calling someone daughter. And not only does he restore her physically, but socially, says, hey, you're accepted into the kingdom. You're part of the family. And, and I encourage you in week one to share your story. Don't just keep your story to yourself, but tell others about how God is working in your life. Last week, we had Randy Garris talk about marriage. And, and if I was to kind of summarize this, what is the story of your marriage? What's the story of your relationships? And if you didn't get a chance to be here, let me just encourage you, you can go to our podcast and you can listen to all three sessions. You can also go to chccsa.info and look at past teachings. And, and maybe this isn't something for you, but maybe you know someone that might be struggling in their relationships or someone that may be getting married in the future and say, hey, this would be really helpful. I, I would encourage you to, to listen to those. Today, we're going to look at another anonymous woman, John chapter 4. Jesus is taking a trip from Judea to Galilee, probably in mid-July to late July. The temperature is about 105 degrees, and he gets to a little Samaritan village called Sychar. And about a half mile outside of Sychar, there's a, a well called Jacob's Well. It's named that because the patriarch Jacob uh, dug it many years ago. And he gets there, and, and he and the disciples are hungry, and so he sends the disciples for some chicken sandwiches. The, the, the disciples, they, they go to Chick-fil-A. Judas went to Pie Pies, but that's a different story. And, and so Jesus is, is sitting there, and it's about noon, and, and just kind of keep that in mind because that's an important little detail in this story. So soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some chicken sandwiches. The, the woman was surprised for a, Jew, for a Jew 
for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I, I, I want you to, to realize it's noon. Culturally speaking, women went and got the water in the early morning. They also got it in the evening. For her to show up at noon, there had to be a reason. I, I, I wonder if it's because she had some things in her life that she wasn't proud of. I, I wonder if she was the gossip of the town. I, I wonder if she said, man, if I come at this time, I really don't have to deal with anyone. But then she shows up and there's this Jewish man there. And this Jewish man here is asking her for a drink of water. And you may not see it in the text, but there's some invisible walls here in this text. There's a racial wall. There's a gender wall. There's a religious wall. There's a moral wall. See, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Jews saw Samaritans as half-breed heretics. They would avoid going through Samaria. If you touched a utensil that a Samaritan had touched, they would see it as a sin. Also, most Jewish men would never talk to, especially a Samaritan woman, that they didn't know. And then we're also going to see that this woman had some moral baggage in her life. And so as we continue reading, we're going to see that Jesus asked this woman for some water, and, and she's kind of resistant. And Jesus said, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you, and if you have your Bibles, I would underline the, these two words, living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Living water to her was water that was moving. It would be like a creek, a river. It's something that's flowing. It's the best water that you could possibly have. And, and, and I think, I'm wondering if she's thinking in her mind, does Jesus know of a place that there's some of this really good water in this area? I mean, this would keep me from having to go to this well. Maybe he knows. And, and plus, how is he going to get this living water? He doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have anything. What's, what's the deal with this? Let's continue reading. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me, they come and drink. And we're going to see in John chapter 7 what living water is. It says, For scriptures declare the rivers of the living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the what? The spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. She's thinking living water is moving water, and Jesus is actually saying, hey, there's something spiritual here. There's something that I'm going to offer you spiritually, and she doesn't get it. But eventually she's going to, to see. Let's continue reading says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus says, go get your husband. 
Jesus told her. I I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. It kind of seems odd that Jesus would be asking or or telling her, hey, go get your husband. Why does Jesus say, hey, you've got five husbands, and the man that you're living with now, the man you're with now, you're just living with, you're not married to him. Is Jesus showing us her sin? Is he saying, hey, you know what, I love sinful people? Is he showing that he's all-knowing? What we see here is this woman had a past. And we don't know if she's been divorced five times. We don't know what caused this. We don't know if she was widowed. We don't know if she's cheated on other people or her husbands, and this is what caused the divorce. We don't know. We just know that she's had five husbands, and she's living with a man. And what happens here is Jesus gets into her mail. He gets personal with her. Have you ever had someone get personal with you? Maybe you're talking to a friend or your parent or your kid or a coworker or a pastor, and all of a sudden they start asking some probing questions. And you, it gets real deep, and you begin to start looking underneath the rocks and the crevices in your heart. And God begins to start to show you some things, some things that you might be ashamed of, might show you some sin, might show you some things that you're uncomfortable with. You know, sometimes this can be really good because God convicts us of sin in our life. But this made me kind of think, what's the difference between guilt and shame? Shame researcher Brene Brown, one of my favorite people to read and listen to, says this, guilt is is failing to do something according to a standard and feeling proper psychological guilt over that. Proper psychological discomfort over what you've violated. Shame is the intense feeling of being worthless and not being worthy of love. Basically, when you think about shame, you think that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Guilt is private. Shame, as one author put it, has witnesses. That people know how you've messed up, how you've failed. And so... This woman hears what Jesus has to say. And and, and you know that he's gotten personal with her because you know what she does? She deflects. If you you read in the story, you'll see that she was like, well, you know, Jesus, the Samaritans, we worship here and the Jews worship here. and, And so who's right? Like, she doesn't even go there. She doesn't even say, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, you knew this. And let's go deeper here. No, she's like, I I want to know about this worship thing. And Jesus answers her and says, hey, this is, this is what's right. And then he says, I am the Messiah. And then we see something interesting. She hears this, and she was concerned about water, but now she's left her bucket. And, and you'll see when the text on screen. She, she leaves, and she goes to this village, and she tells this village about Jesus. And, and, and they come to her. Or they come out to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we want to hear more from you. Will you stay with us a couple more days? And and then we get to the end of these verses. And 
And it says this. Now you believe, now we believe not because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Woman at the well, yeah, you told us this, but you know what? Now we heard it with our own ears. And, and I looked at this story and I thought, you know what? We have an amazing God. Because here's a woman that had a story, had a history, had shame in her life. And God used her, redeemed her. And this little Samaritan village came to realize that Jesus was the Savior of the world. That's before some of the disciples even realized that he was the Savior of the world. So, so where do we go from here? What, what's our next steps? In, in a few moments, we're going to watch a testimony by Sumi Roach. But before we hear that, I want us to think about this. Think about and write down how God is redeeming your story. How is God redeeming your story? How is he working in your story? And, and then I want you to think about, I want you to remember that shame is not your name. Satan whispers, man, you're a failure. You can't be loved. You're not worthy. You're no good. But Jesus says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You're part of the family. Randy Garris was was telling me this story. He said, imagine if you have a $100 bill. Imagine if I held a $100 bill up here. Someone's determined its value. It's valuable. Someone's set that. But if I take that same $100 bill and I throw it in the mud and I trample on it and, and I pull it out of the mud, what's its value? It's still $100, right? Some of you right now, You've been trampled on. You've been trampled on. You've went through some mud and muck. And, and Satan says, oh, you're worthless. But Jesus says, no, shame is not your name. Some of you, you, you feel like it's your name not because of what you've done, but because of what your kids or what your parents or what someone else has done. And, and you feel this intense shame in your life. Jesus says, no, shame is not your name. Lastly, I'm encouraging you to share your story. Share how God is working in your life. Share underneath some of the crevices in the rocks. See, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Find that person in your life that you can talk to. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a counselor. But find that person to say, you know what? I've been holding some things in, and I just want to talk, and I just want to put it out here. Because I know that confession is powerful in our story. Let's take the next few moments and watch how God has been redeeming Sumi Roach's story. Hey, CHCC, I'm here with Sumi Roach. And I've known Sumi for about 15 years. You've been attending the life group, or we've been going to life group together for several years. And, and over these years, I've got to learn part of your story. And, and I thought that today I would have you share your story with Castle Hills Christian Church. And so I wanted you to kind of share some different things that you went through, some different experiences that you've had. Okay. Um, a lot of people may or may not know my story. Um, I would say majority don't. But um, as I guess I can go back from the beginning, um, sure. rejection has always been a part of my life for 
like as long as I can remember. Um, as a child, I was actually molested um, by a family member for I don't know how many years. Mm. Um, growing up, I was rejected by the kids that I went to school with because I was not fully Korean. Um, I was part American and that was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in my early 20s, um, I was also date raped. And um, then into my marriage, I was four and a half months pregnant when I found out that um, there was infidelity in my marriage six months prior. And it wasn't until two years after that where um, the words that were probably the most devastating a person can hear was um, that I do not love you and I don't want to be married anymore. And it wasn't until that point that the rest of, I guess, my story um, came to the point where I got to deal with everything. Um, So what are some of the different emotions, feelings, uh, the things that you went through during this time? I know, of course, there was a lot of pain, uh, grief. Yes, there's fear, um, Mm -hmm. rejection, there was guilt. Um, When you're not able to release or deal with any of the things that you have gone through, you carry them all within yourself. And so nobody knew about any of the stuff that I went through. Um, my, my, my molestation, I didn't tell anybody until I think I was 16. Uh, my dad was the only person that knew, and then my mom didn't even find out until after he passed away. Mm. Um, the date rape, nobody knew about that. Um, even my infidelity in my marriage, um, nobody knew about that until the divorce happened. And so um, it wasn't until I got through my counselor, going through marriage counseling, that turned into more of a personal counseling that we dug deeper into the things that was happening and you know there was a lot of um, what did I do wrong because you have that guilt feeling like you must have done something to cause this to happen Um, the fear of rejection like no one's you know now I'm marked Um, one of the biggest for me is growing up in a Christian home was God's not going to be able to use me because I am that scarlet you know whether it was um the events in my life or being a divorcee. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of, like I said, fear, rejection. Um, there was some anger, there was hurt, there was scars. And I felt like as I walked, people were gonna know, like they were gonna look at me and see that I was unclean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I know you've shared before in life group, there was some embarrassment that went along with that as well. Now. What would you tell that person that's going through some of those things right now that that you've experienced? What's some kind of encouragement that you might give them? Well, first of all, it is okay to not be okay. Um, it is okay to feel. God gave us feelings for a purpose. And the biggest thing is, is when you're ready, it needs to be released. Because um, something that I thought about the other day was, in Randy's sermon, he talked about the natural of the hand mm-hmm. of being held out like this, and the blessings flow in, but it needs to flow out. And until we can release the things that we are holding on to, um, we can't be filled. So the longer that you hold that stuff that's inside of you, you're, it's taking up room, and it's not allowing other things to be able to flow in. Um, 
it has to be released out for healing to happen. Like healing just doesn't automatically happen. Um, but at the same time too, the scars are, you know, you have surgery, you have a scar, you fall, you have a scar. The scar does not have to be that painful reminder and it doesn't have to be reopened every time, but it could be a sweet reminder of not the incident that happened, but I can look back at all of those incidences and see, God, I'm here because you used my story for something. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm here because you healed me. Mm -hmm. And through everything that life has happened, the one thing that has been constant and consistent in my life is that I have a God that is bigger than any of the situations that I've been through. I have a God who understands more than I understood myself, and I have a God who has never left my side. And many times he has carried me more than walked with me. Um, He's never turned his back on me, and being a Christian doesn't mean, you know, life is perfect and things aren't going to happen to you. It just means that I have the reassurance that I have a God who loves me unconditionally and is going to walk through life with me. One of the things you mentioned earlier that I want to kind of spotlight is that you got help from a counselor. And sometimes we're, sometimes we don't always have a positive view of counseling. And sometimes in the church we, we uh, have this negative uh, connotation when it comes to that. But something that we're trying to change around here is it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get counseling. It's, it's okay to let people in to encourage you, to help you, to, to get guidance. And what was your experience with um, like I said, the counseling wasn't intentional for me to like open up my life. It was mm-hmm. for a marriage counseling that didn't happen. But what I experienced through that was I got to share with somebody. Um, she may not have walked my walk, but to be able to verbalize and get everything that was inside out. Um, sometimes even just verbalizing something helps us to release things. Um, but it helped me to talk with somebody that was able to see it from a different point of view. Um, biggest thing was it helped me to not be ashamed and like I said it took 27 years before I was able to speak about any of the events in my life but because I was able to do that taking one layer off at a time it brought healing into areas I didn't know I needed to be healed and then it gave me room um, to allow other things in and to be able to help other people but the biggest thing I think for a lot of women, and I know for me, was the shame. You know, if I speak it, then it really happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings it back to reality instead of maybe it didn't happen and I just think it did or kind of like, let me, you know, stuff it. And um, But that, whether it's a counselor or someone trusted that you can talk with, sure. you know, just to be able to have somebody um, to love on you, to walk with you, maybe not walk through it with you, but at least walk with you mm-hmm. and just knowing that you're not alone. One of the things that I know that you've told me is that despite the shame, you found God's redemption. And uh, yes, it was a tough path, but God kept on encouraging you and helping you and putting people in your path. And so I want to let everyone know in our CHCC family that Sumi is, is here and our and our church leaders are here to encourage you and to walk with you. And, and maybe your story's not finished. Maybe you're right in the process of the 27 years that it took Sumi to, to get to the spot that she's in. Uh, but we just want you to know that we're here, that we care about you, we love you. And Sumi's more than willing to listen, uh, cry with you, pray with you, uh, and, and help you.